Moses. Moses. Your father's called me God, and I am. I have made you an orphan of grace. I have sustained you in the house of a king. Now see your purpose. For I have heard the cries of my people. I have seen the weight of their oppression. And I have come down to deliver them. And I will stretch out my hand against Egypt and guide my people to a land I have prepared. I will make you my mouthpiece. I will make you a shadow of one greater to come. I will lead you as I have led you. Now go! And you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Go and you will see. We have the privilege today of opening up God's words. What a glorious privilege this truly is. Not only is this God's word, but it is the inspired word of God. It is through this word that we know who God is. The Bible says that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. So I invite you as we look at God's word to us this morning to turn with me, join me in God's word. In Exodus chapter 17, Exodus chapter 17, we began this journey a month ago now or more in the book of Exodus. God bringing his people out of bondage, out of slavery, but he is bringing them into something greater. He's bringing them into his presence. He's bringing them into the promised land, and that is God's promise to us. He doesn't deliver us from our sin and leave us as orphans. He brings us from our sin and leads us to Christ and into his presence. So we will see this morning that the battle is the Lord's. The battle belongs to the Lord. Read with me in Exodus 17, beginning in verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, by the way, this is the first time Joshua is mentioned by name in the Bible. Choose us some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him. And fought with Amalek, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book 
and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner, or Jehovah Nisi. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Let's pray. Father, we have read your glorious word. Father, words that are living and active. Lord, we know that from your word, you call us, you invite us to respond today in this moment. So Lord, right now we ask that you would focus our minds, that you would open our ears and that you would transform our hearts. That we would not be listeners only, but we would be doers of your word that we would prove to you that we have heard that we love you because you first loved us. So Lord, as we have read your blessed word, change us, mold us, conform us to you, our Savior and our King. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. But we see several things in the scriptures this morning. The battle belongs to the Lord, and it's this. If the battle belongs to the Lord, then we must then have a battle. We must have a battle. Look at verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Now God's people are not immune to battles. Right? God's people are not immune to battles. So this runs counter-cultural to the prosperity gospel. Right? We desire, one, we proclaim many people that, that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and happy. Um, Here's our newsflash. God is not existing to make me happy. Right? We exist to give him glory and honor. And even if I did not exist, God would be perfectly content because he is God. So God is not living for me. God sent his son to die that I might in turn live for him. And we see this in the community of faith. Where are God's people going? They've been recently delivered from Egypt, right? So God has broken their bondage, and now they are journeying to the promised land. And the journey to the promised land is not filled with rainbows and unicorns and candy at our house. It would be gummy bears and cowbells, right? Our journey is not filled with that. The journey to the promised land, immediately they find who standing in their way. The Amalekites, Amalek. There is a battle there. They are freed from bondage and they fight. You see, this is the first military encounter that God's people are engaged in. And if this is true in the earliest of God's community, how much now is it still true in our lives? So we should not be surprised then when we face difficulty. And you say, well, I I haven't done anything wrong. I have not sinned. Why am I finding resistance? You've answered your question. God's people are freed from slavery. They're journeying to the promised land, and they find obstacles. And yet God says, do not worry, because the battle is mine. The battle is the Lord. The The New Testament echoes this struggle. Ephesians 6, 12 says, The battle is not flesh and blood, but against rulers, 
against authorities, against the world powers of darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. The battle is not in flesh and blood. So there is a battle. And Ephesians goes on to say that put on the full armor of God, not part of the armor, the full armor of God. Why? Because we are in a battle. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. My son, Timothy, I am giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you. You're thinking, wow, prophecies. How awesome would it be to have a prophecy about you? In God's word. Here's the prophecy. So that by them you may strongly engage in battle. You may strongly engage in battle. Revelation 19, 19. John the beloved writes this. Listen to the imagery. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth. And their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army. By the way, the rider on the horse, the horse is white. And the rider is clothed in robes of righteousness. And we know that the rider on this horse is Jesus Christ. And if the rider is Jesus, then who is the army? It's those who are following the risen king. Verse 20. But the beast was taken prisoner, and along with him the false prophet who had performed the signs in his presence. He deceived those who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped the image with his signs. Both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were killed with the sword that comes out of the mouth of the rider of the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh." We're going to come back to that. But over and over again in the New Testament, it echoes what God has said from the beginning that we are going to be in a battle. We are going to be in a fight. But God says, don't worry. Because when we are in a fight for the sake of Jesus Christ, the battle is the Lord's. What a glorious truth that is. Because we will face struggle. So God says, do not be surprised when you find yourself in the midst of the war. Do not be surprised. Don't you, find, don't you think that sometimes we just, we, we find surprise when we struggle? I believe like the guys, people, they are journeying with, they're happy, they're, thanks, they're thankful, thanksgiving is rising in their heart, and now the battle is coming, and they're saying, God, why didn't you tell us about this? Right? And I know some of you felt like that maybe when you put your faith in Christ from at an early age or, or even later in life, you said, well, I didn't believe it would be difficult to follow Christ. It is, but the battle is the Lord's. That is his promise to us. And so God says, do not be surprised when we find ourselves facing obstacles when journeying to the promised land. You see, we often have no clue in our lives the forces that are facing us daily. We have no clue the forces that we are faced with daily, keeping us from the truth, distracting us from obedience, and hardening our hearts to the gospel. I believe if God could open our eyes, I know he can, but if he did, we'd be amazed at the spiritual forces at work in our lives. One thing that, that we fight in our house because we're younger, and this is just a, an obstacle. We have this thing called a smartphone. 
And I, I, I don't have mine with me. You can text me all you want right now. It's in my office. I don't care. You can blow it up. I hope it crashes and burns. But I believe there are times in our life where instead of seeking Christ, instead of spending time with our family or reaching our neighbors, a, a demonic force slides that phone in our laps and says, you know what, why don't you spend time on Facebook? Well, what's going on on Twitter? Well, why don't you check your email? Or why don't you waste it? Why don't you retreat into a world that, that blocks out the truth of Christ in your life? I believe if God would open my eyes, I would be personally amazed at the demonic forces in my life that distract me from living on mission for Jesus Christ. I am not saying that my smartphone is the devil. But I am saying at times it is a tool of Satan in our life to distract us. And maybe you don't have a smartphone. Maybe you're still on the smoke signal method of messaging. Um, but you still have obstacles, don't you? We still have struggles. Maybe it's the TV, or maybe it's just time that we say, this is my time, I'm not going to redeem it, I'm going to waste it. And there are all these forces. I believe if God would open our eyes, we would be blown away at the forces behind the battle. Which is why God says, trust me. I believe there are battles waging right now. I know there are people that sit in our midst that have not put their faith in Jesus Christ. And I believe there are forces that are distracting you. And maybe it's your stomach saying you're hungry. Or maybe it's something saying, you know what, look, look at your neighbor or look at that girl next to you. Or don't forget you need to do this. There are forces vying for your soul right now. Oh, but thank God that he is greater than anything that can fight against us. We also, though, not only see forces behind that, but we have no clue the forces of Christ that are working in us, softening our hearts, protecting us from harm, leading us not into temptation. And so I just say this right now. Do not be surprised because we are in a fight and the battle is the Lord's. Look at God's word. He says this about the fight. Amalek came and fought in verse 8 with Israel. And Moses said to Joshua, choose some men and go out and fight with Amalek. We know this in our battle of our lives. It's always easier to hide than to fight. It's always easier to hide than to fight. It's always easier to go with the flow than to trust and obey. God calls us, trust me, obey me, but it's always easier to say, no, no, it's the flow is going downstream. God, let me flow with the current of the culture rather than going upstream with Christ. It is always easier to hide, and I would say it is not worth it. Do not hide. We must remember that Christ Jesus will never give up on us, and he will always give us the strength to remain firm. And oh, that we would stand up this morning and say, God, choose me for battle because I'm going. It's worth the fight. God, I'm tired of hiding. Present comfort is often easier than Christ's likeness. Present comfort is also e always easier than Christ's likeness. But oh, that the glory of Christ might be revealed in our lives. This is the struggle of the established church 
And there are glorious benefits of a church that has a legacy of faith. But if the church has been here longer than a week, we begin to get comfortable. And we gravitate towards our pews and our songs and our comforts and our ministries and our Bibles. And just fill in the blank. We all have ours, don't we? I have a Bible that I preach with every Sunday. And if one of you picked it up, if you needed a Bible, and you just picked it up and took off with it right now, my first inclination would be, well, how dare you take my Bible, even if you needed it? And God would say, but Josh, don't you understand? I have not called you to hide, but to give, to sacrifice. So God, it's not about me, it's about you, because we are in a battle. Do not hide, we must fight. I think another truth we see in Scripture is this, that in our lives, perceived peace does not equal the absence of war. Perceived peace does not equal the absence of war in our life. I was reminded, I was reading a book on the persecuted church, and I was reading about what was going on in China, And years ago, in the 80s especially, the Chinese government was trying to stamp out the light of Jesus Christ. And this is what they would do. They would round up Christians, especially leaders, and they would throw them in jail. But this is the struggle of the Chinese government in the 80s. They found out that when they threw Christians in jail, they established churches in jail and that the gospel was growing in jail. So the more that the government persecuted Christ's followers and made them uncomfortable, the more the gospel was fanned in the flame. And you know, you know what the government did? They said, you know what? Let's not persecute them. Let's, let's give them some comfort. And when God's people are comfortable, we forget that we are in a war. And we will not live with the wartime mentality I had the, the blessing of hosting my grandmother um, this weekend. She, they were going to Atlanta, and, and my grandmother, um, my grandfather's passed away now, but my grandmother, uh, my grandfather fought in World War II. So he was barely made it into World War II. He actually fought, I believe he was at the cleanup crew in Germany, which was not an easy task. So he did not make the war, but he, he fought at the end of the war. So my grandmother is still part of that legacy of faith and what some would call the greatest generation. She's not quite that old, but she's almost in that generation. And this is what I love about the World War II generation. If anything else, they live differently. Like my grandmother speaks differently than we do. Like she lives different. She's always lived below her means. She's always lived with, with her community first. And I believe that's because she went through World War II and she is used to living in a wartime mentality. My grandmother and that generation, we have some here, you're used to living in a way that you know that when we go to war, it's not about you, it's about everyone else. And when we forget that we are in war, we begin to live for ourselves. And oh, because of that generation that is now passing away, We are losing sacrifice. We are losing resilience and strength. And so if you were part of that generation, impart your faith to these younger generations, to me. And if you are young and you're thinking, what is World War II? Find someone that looks like they might have been in World War II and ask them what God is doing in their life. 
you will be amazed at the strength of Christ when we sacrifice for the common good of the community. We are in a war, brothers and sisters, and do not forget, this is not the final battle. There are more to come. And the war, oh, the war is a war of testimony. When I read Revelation 19, 19, the the armies of the world are coming out against Jesus Christ. And it says there's not even a battle, right? The world is spending years gathering to fight Christ. And he shows up on a horse and it's like game over. But where does the battle, where is it won? The battle, the sword protrudes from his mouth. Because the battle of Christ is a battle of testimony. And oh, how quick are we sometimes to shut our mouth. And if we would just open it, we would win the war. Because the battle rages on, but we have the testimony of Christ in our lives. May we fight the battle of truth in Jesus. Oh, that he would give us a wartime mentality. And you say, well, that's, not a, that's a horrible message. Um, it gets better. One, the battle is the Lord. Verse nine, we see this. If we are going through battle, we see that God has a plan. God has a plan. Verse nine, Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow, stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in your hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him, and he fought. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of of the mountain. You know, there is never a point, and I want you to hear this, there is never a point in your life where God does not have a plan for you. And even if you say, I don't care about God, I don't believe, or I know what, I'm just mulling it over, I have not put my faith in Jesus yet, he still has a plan for your life. What a glorious truth. Jeremiah 29, 11 reminded the prophet Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans of good, not for disaster, to give you future and a hope. Anyone want hope this morning? Anyone want a good plan? I, I do. Anyone want future? God says, this is my plan for you. So when we struggle and when we feel like, God, I'm just fighting a battle, I cannot win. God says, you can't, but I can. And don't worry, I have the plan. And the plan is victory in God. Not only does the Lord have a plan for your life, but he has purposed that plan today. He has purposed that plan today. Look at verse 9. Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. For tomorrow we stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So when do they choose the men, right? The battle is tomorrow, but when do they choose the men? Today. Often I think we pray, God, fight my battles, fight my battles. But God says the plan starts now. It doesn't start tomorrow when the battle you think is waging. The plan starts today. And when we worry When we worry about tomorrow, we fail to trust God today. And here's the glorious truth of the scripture. Jesus reminds us. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear or drink. He says, do not the birds and the flowers in their glorious splendor. Does not God clothe them? 
Right? God says, not even Solomon in all his dress and splendor can compare to the flowers of the field. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about today because God has planned for you. He is purposed in your life right now. Jesus teaches us how to pray. Right? Our Father who is in heaven. Lord, glory be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says this, give us our bread, right? Sorry, I kind of jumped ahead. Give us our bread, but what bread? Not tomorrow's bread. Lord, not store up, not give me a barn full of grain. But Lord, give me my daily bread. See, God has a plan for you right now. And I truly believe that there are many that sit in our midst today that you have not trusted in him. And God says that begins today. It begins right now. Or maybe you're struggling with anxiety for tomorrow. And God says, don't worry about tomorrow. Trust me today because the plan starts now. Choose today some men. We say, well, if God has a plan, how does that work out in my life? See, one of the glorious truths that we have as Christ followers is this. That is the power of remembrance. See, God says, don't worry about tomorrow. I have a plan today. And it says, I'm going to prove my plan today. Remember the past. Right? Remember the past. Look at the words used here in verse 9. Choose some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow, stand on the top of the hill. With the rod of God in my hand. And you say, well, how can I trust God? God says, remember my faithfulness. The words tomorrow and staff would flood the community of faith with God's goodness. You see, this is not the first time they've heard the word tomorrow. All right, tomorrow, tomorrow. Listen to God's word, Exodus 8, 23. Moses said, I will make a distinction between my people and your people, Pharaoh. This will be a sign, and it will take place tomorrow. And as God promised, it happened. Exodus 8, 29. Moses said, as soon as I leave you, Pharaoh, I will appeal to the Lord, and tomorrow the swarm of flies will depart from Pharaoh, his officials, his people. But Pharaoh must not act deceptively again. Exodus 9, 5, the Lord said at times, saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. Exodus 9, 18, tomorrow at this time I will rain down the worst hail that has ever occurred in Egypt from this day until now. Exodus 10, verse 4, if you refuse to let my people go, then tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. So God is reminded by saying tomorrow, he's reminding them of his past promises. Remember last week, we talked about God's promises in our life. So God tells us, trust his plan for your, your life because he's been faithful yesterday. He's been faithful yesterday. And it doesn't end there. He says to Pharaoh, he says to Moses, go up on top of the hill and I'm going to lift my Staff. I'm going to have a rod in my hand. This is not a stick that Moses found on the side of the road. Listen to this staff. This is the same staff that changed the snake back into a staff before Pharaoh. This is the same staff that was stretched out and turned the Nile into blood. 
This was the same staff that brought forth the gnats. This was the same staff that called forth thunder and hail. This was the same staff that ushered in the locusts and divided the Red Sea. This was the same staff that when God's people saw it, they were flooded with memories of God's grace and mercy in his life. And I believe as God's community of faith that God has given us places of remembrance in our life that when we remember God's grace should flood our souls and we should say, God, you have a plan and I trust in you. So what are some of those remembrances? I remember very vividly the day that God offered me salvation. I remember the day and I would say, do not be like me. I was sitting in a small church in the back of the church trying to hide. And I remember God opening up my heart and I knew that I had sinned and I knew that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for my sin and given me hope. And I looked at God and I said, I do not want that right now. Today is not the day. And I'm thankful that we serve a gracious Savior who gave me a second chance. And I remember the day, the second time that God said, Josh, you need me. And I remember the day that God's grace changed my life, that I went from being dead in my sin to having a new life in Jesus Christ. That day still brings me to tears, knowing that I do not deserve his mercy. Oh, what a day of remembrance that is for me. I remember the day I was baptized. I stood up to the world and said, I have died in Christ and I am raised in new life. And this Wednesday, we're going to have baptism outside. Some of our youth who put their faith in Jesus this week are going to have that memory etched in their hearts. So be a part. And if you know someone that has not yet put their faith in, in Christ or has not stood up for what they believe, oh, that they would have this remembrance in their life. This is a God-given remembrance. That we are dead in our sins and new life and I have died in Christ. But praise God, he raises us to something more new and glorious. Oh, do you remember your baptism? Oh, what a great day that was in my life. I remember last week taking the Lord's Supper and us standing up as a church and taking that bread and saying, we do this in remembrance of our Savior whose body was broken for us, whose blood, when they poured, when they stuck the spear in his side, when they pierced his side, the blood flowed, and that blood flowed for us. I remember that he is good. Oh, and, and what a picture we had last week of God's people flooding the altar. And we had people in our church that just could not physically come up and we had other believers in Christ that took them, the body of Christ, said, I don't want you to be left out because I love you. And we will remember together the sacrifice. What a glorious remembrance of the body of Christ. He has a plan for you. Remember his faithfulness and trust the plan because the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. Lastly, I want to leave you with this. We are in a war. God has a plan, and he reminds us, you are not alone. You are not alone. Look at verse 10. Joshua did as Moses said to him, and he fought with Amalek. 
And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So Moses is walking to the top of the hill along with Aaron, his kinfolk, and along with Hur. Now this man is introduced for the first time in Scripture here, and we only hear him mentioned again in Exodus 24. He's also possibly the grandfather of Bezalel. You're saying, well, who is Bezalel? I know that name from somewhere. Who is he? He was one of the builders of the tabernacle. Oh, the glorious tent of meeting. But we see in this man, someone that went up with Moses to remind Moses, you are not alone. So I just want us to do this. If you would raise your hands. If your shirt's tucked in like mine, it's not as easy. Just keep them raised, right? As high or as low, Uh, So just let's raise our hands. Okay, continue to raise your hands. So they went up to the top of the hill. And it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. Keep our hands raised. So you see the picture. Moses chooses chooses Joshua and says, Joshua, you go fight. I'm going to go to the hill and raise my hands. Keep them raised, church. And as the day grew long, he would let down his hand and Amalek prevailed. Keep your hands raised. And so it was that when Moses' hands became heavy, anyone have an amen to that? They took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. So keep your hands raised, right? So they sit him down, but he still raised his hands. And when he would lower his hands, don't do it. When he would lower his hands, the victory was not God's. But when he raised his hands, God's people prevailed. Okay, you can put your hands down. We need to work out more. (laughs) But thank God for Aaron and Hur, men of faith who went alongside of Moses and said, Moses, you sit, and when you get weary, we will hold your hands. And God says, church, I have not asked you to do it alone. I have called you to the body of Christ that when your hands grow weary, that other men would hold them up. And that when your hands grow weary, ladies, your hands would be held up by your brothers and sisters in Christ. We are not called to do it alone. We are called to be strengthened by God's grace. We are not alone. And may we not try to do it alone. Because the truth is this. Often we feel like self-made men and women. And if you're like me, sometimes we just feel, I feel like I'm, I'm worn out and we walk around like this. Right, with heavy hands. Why? Because we try to do it alone. Can you imagine if Moses would have stayed up there by himself? God's people might not have seen victory. And we, we come to church and we're weary. And, and we ask each other because we don't really want, we don't really care sometimes. We just say, how's your day going? That's not what we mean. We really mean good morning. We don't, we don't really care about our day. We say good morning. And we look at each other and we say, you know what? I've never been better, right? What we should say is, brother, my hands are killing me. You don't understand the struggle I've been through this week. And you know what we should do as a family of faith? 
We should say, you know what, let, let me give, give me your hand. Give me your hand. And let's raise them together for God's glory. And I want to encourage you, if you are worn out, my first question is, are you trying to do it alone? Because if you come here every Sunday and leave and you do not connect with brothers and sisters in Christ, you will be weary and heavy laden. And you will have long and heavy arms. But God has not asked us to do it alone. Find a group, find a life group and connect. Find other men that will lift your arms. Not only do we need hers in our life. And so I ask you, who is your Aaron? Who is your her? Who's lifting you up today? If you don't have someone, find someone. Find a man that you trust, men that can lift your arms. Because that is our calling in Jesus Christ. But not only that, maybe you're called to be Aaron. Maybe you're called to be the hand raiser. So who are you lifting up? Oh, that we would lift up our brothers in prayer. Oh, that we would be burdened and weep over the lost. Here, here's the, the spiritual warfare. Those who do not know Christ, they can't lift their arms. They can't. They can't pray to a God who hears them because they can't call on a heavenly father who they do not call father. So you know what we're called to do as people of faith? If you trust in Jesus, find someone who can't lift their arm and then when their back's turned, you pray for them and you lift their arm. Or you say, you know what? Josh is not a follower. I'm gonna lift my arms for him. God, hear his prayers. God, touch his heart. God, let him see that the gospel is what he needs. Oh, who are you lifting up in prayer? And you might say, well, it gets tiresome. Yes, but the battle is worth it. And oh, shortly as we have a time of invitation, may we flood the throne of God with our prayers for those who are heavy and those who are weary and those who are in darkness. You are not alone. You see, everyone needs a hand. We, we know this. If you would look, look at your hands really quick. I'm not asking to lift them again, but look at your hands. Um, some of you have hands that are calloused because you work for a living. Some of you are like mine and I'm not calloused. Because your hands are used for shaking, not bailing hay. But God never asked Moses to fight the battle with his hands, did he? I mean, look at your hands. He, God tells Moses, I want you to hold the staff in your hand. And I want you to raise your hand. So it's not about your hand, it's about the staff. Now, many people have tried to figure out, well, what is going on here? We know that often in Scripture, hand raising is a picture of prayer. But I don't think that's truly what's going on here. Because when Moses had the staff, it was a reminder that God is all-powerful. It was a reminder when Moses lifted up his hand, he wasn't looking at the hand. He was looking at the power and the sovereign holiness of God. You see, when God asks us to lend a hand, he's asking you to be faithful and obedient. He's not asking you to do it by yourself. We are not called to do it alone. And oh, the picture of obedience here. Tony Morita in his commentary said this, I was at a theme park last week with a lot of other people. And we were on several roller coasters. And some of the crazy people, 
right? You know, some of the smart people, they're holding on for dear life. Um, that's the wise thing to do. Some of you crazy folk, uh, you're the ones that you just raise your hand and you're like, woo, this is awesome. That is not natural. Like something's wrong with those people. Um, and there are times, you know, there are times on the right, I did that. And they're like, God, this is not, this is not smart. Um, you know, why am I paying money to, to look at the face of death? Um, but the crazy people who rode with their hands up, you know what they were saying? They were saying, I have no control. And this is awesome. And I believe God is calling us to have the same posture in our lives. God is calling us, if we have put our faith in Jesus, to lift our hands and surrender. And saying, God, I give up. God, when I lift my hands, I'm going to lift it because your word is there. God, it's not my hand. I'm not going to fight harder. I'm not going to work harder. But God, I'm going to lift your authority in my life. God, I'm going to lift my hands as if I'm on a roller coaster called life and say, I am not in control. But praise God, you are. You are not alone. And I want to leave you with this truth. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, this is the outcome. When we hold up our hands, verse 15, Moses built an altar and called its name Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. Literally, that's not a great translation. Literally, the word means this, the hand upon the throne of God. And when we lift our hands and surrender to Christ, we will always find that the battle is the Lord's and the victory is already won. Oh, that we would live out that truth. So maybe you are here today and you say, well, I need that victory. I want to tell you what happened 2,000 years ago. There was a man who lived a sinless life, who was the spotless lamb of God. And that just as Moses walked up on a hill, Jesus walked on a hill called Calvary. Not because he deserved it, but because I do. And Moses lifted up his hands and was held by friends that loved the Lord. But the Bible says that Jesus had his hands held in place on a cross by two nails. And Jesus held his hands out on the cross that we, if we believe in that sacrifice, would find victory over our sins and forgiveness and redemption in the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. And if you are here right now and you say, I don't know if I have hope, it was found on a hill with hands stretched out for you that the blood flowed freely, that we would have victory, that we who were dead in our sins would have life. You see, there are only two types of people in the world, those that are dead in our sins and those that are alive in Jesus Christ. And I know because I've been both. And oh, praise Jesus. He was gracious and offered me the gift of salvation in the nail-pierced hands. And this is the same invitation he gives you. If you do not know, if you have no hope, it is found in Jesus.
And if you know Christ, you know life, you know victory. If we have new life, we can't go back to death because he has given us life. And if you are here and you say, well, I just need hope. I need the kindness and grace of Christ. Maybe you need the encouragement of your brother and sister. And maybe you need emboldness this morning to find someone and say, look, I'm weary. I have noodle arms because I'm tired. And I need you to help me hold them up. Would you be bold enough to find someone and say, pray for me. Aaron, her, lift up my hands. Maybe you need to come to the altar and you are the hand raiser. Maybe you need to raise someone that's not here today because they don't trust the Lord. And maybe you need to come and raise your hands on their behalf and say, God, hear their cry. God, hear their prayer. But Lord, you are faithful. Church, the battle is the Lord's. Remember his promises and trust his plan because he has given us victory. Let's pray.